Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. If it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. That understanding works for you, so therefore it is absolutely right for you. All beliefs have become only relatively true, and of course to the world, religion is just some personalized experience, not a divine revelation, and the church is catching the disease. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Introducing a new church growth model. I've traveled every road in this here land. I've been everywhere. This is Wretched Radio. I traveled from Atlanta to lovely Beaufort, South Carolina. You ain't never been there. You're missing out. When you think coastal town, think Beaufort, South Carolina. I went... I saw, and I would like to introduce to you a new church growth model. That should ring the ears, or the bells tickle the ears of a lot of pastors because, wow, we sure do love church growth models, don't we? They are proliferating books out of Christian publishing houses regularly teaching pastors. This is how to grow a church. Conferences designed to help pastors grow their church. Well, I saw a church growth model that is going to feel very new, even though it is actually very old. Community Bible Church, Dr. Carl Brogy, he is the pastor there. He's been pastoring for, I think he said 30 to 40 years. (laughs) He's been there for a bit. And I couldn't help but ask him, how do you explain this and this was a massive building, a massive sanctuary. I don't know what it sat, 1,500, maybe 2,000. Huge place, two services on Sunday morning. They have about four or 500 kids in the nursery while church is going on. They held a banquet, which I had the privilege of speaking at on Friday night for Valentine's Day, where the members could bring people, but only if they were unsaved. And the place was full and it was delightful and people were serving. And so when I had a chance with Pastor Carl, I asked if you had to pick one thing to which you could attribute the success of what it is that I am seeing, what would it be? And of course, as a good theologian, his answer was the Lord. And I said, yes, agreed. But what are you doing here? And he said, nothing that We haven't been doing now for decades. It is actually not a new church growth model. It is a continuation of an old church growth model, if you can even call it that. In fact, I don't think we should. Why? Because it's an emphasis on numbers. And that is not what they're after at Community Bible Church. They are after souls. And so as I was talking to the good pastor, he explained to me, What he says to pastors who call him on the regs. You hear that, Jimmy? On the regs. I like it. I'm hip. (laughs) He says to them, how many people do you share the gospel with every week? How many people do you invite to church each week? And if you're not witnessing or inviting at least 10 people, that's your new quota. And if it's Saturday night, even if you're prepping for your sermon and you've only hit six for the week, get in your car, go to Walmart and find four souls 
and witness to them or invite them to church on Sunday morning. And you say, is that the pastor's job? Well, no, it's all of our job. It's what we are supposed to be doing, that we should be making the most of every opportunity, and they're all over the place. We, we really don't need the Lord to provide an opportunity, and unless, of course, you happen to be listening to this on a deserted island, and there's no people. Otherwise, there's people everywhere. And it isn't just the pastor. And what he shared with me was that when the pastor is evangelistic, when the pastor desires to reach people with the good news, to get them into their church, it just trickles down to everybody. And then the elders start doing it and the deacons do it and the sheep in the congregation do it. And what happens? Why and lie, you got yourself a big thriving church sitting in the middle of a not very densely populated area in South Carolina. Why? Because this pastor did not leave the old paths. He stayed on them. And he continued to share the gospel and reach out to the community as if he's still planting a church. Hey, come to church. Hey, do you have a church that you can go to? You should come to our church. It's probably different than what you're used to. And he shares the gospel with them. And the church, therefore, is growing. And it's strong. But that's not the only insight that he provided. He said, secondarily, he said, it's get ready for this. Strong preaching. Not wimpy, seeker-sensitive, hey, want to wanna watch a movie clip from Disney and I'll talk about it? None of that nonsense. And the church continues to grow. But wait, there's still more. It's not enough for everybody to be evangelizing, inviting people to church. We used to do this all the time. We used to be bell ringers. We used to be soul winners. And this is a church that's actually doing that. And the fruit is quite massive. It is a huge church. There's an energy in the place that is good and sweet. They don't stop with evangelizing, inviting people to church. They don't stop with good preaching. They plug in people. They aggressively try to find those who are attending for the first time capture their names, asking them for the information to contact them. And guess what the pastor does the next week? He actually contacts them. But that's not enough. He will either go and meet with them because he asks them a diagnostic question. On a scale of one to a hundred, how certain are you that you'd go to heaven? Um... I guess about 50-50 shot, then we need to meet immediately. And he'll go have lunch. He'll visit them in their homes. What? The pastor goes and visits somebody from the community in their homes? Absolutely. And on Sunday nights, I think it's every other week, they host something called Meet the Pastor, where people can come in and ask any question that they want. And what is his focus? Do you know Jesus Christ? More importantly, does he know you? Because he's evangelistically minded and he wants people to be saved and added as members, not to his church, but to the kingdom. And if they end up going to his church, cool. But if not, he encourages them to get plugged into some sort of Bible teaching church. And with that, evangelism, invitation, strong preaching. Let me tell you, strong preaching. 
Okay. <laughs> On Sunday, at the end of the service, he stood up and he said, if you don't have a church home, we'd love to be that for you. But if you, if you do have a good church home, you should stay there. We, we don't want to steal sheep. But maybe you're not going to a church that knows the gospel. And he cited that there were two Baptist churches in Beaufort, South Carolina. He said that questioned the inerrancy of, of the Bible. It doesn't have to be infallible. It, it has mistakes. Those are the Baptist churches. Furthermore, he said, we've got churches in town that would affirm a gay wedding. Wow, that ain't seeker sensitive. <laughs> that could have been very offensive. But he doesn't concern himself with that. He concerns himself with the truth and being a sound church. And it hasn't grown squishy in its evangelistic endeavors, because that can happen, can it? You can sort of water down the message, dull the sharp edges to make the gospel more palatable. Not a chance at this place. And the results, it's a thriving church. Is it possible that we need to jettison all of the new church growth models and simply return to the old ways and go back to ringing bells. And now if you don't want to do that, it doesn't matter. You can find people in public. So I, I had dinner with Carl and his wife, Audrey, on Saturday night. And the waitress, sorry, waitron, I didn't want to be all gender specific there. The waitron came to our table and he immediately, like a pastor would, what's your name? Well, that's a lovely name. Are you from here? And I mean, he was just in. <laughs> because he wanted to talk to this young lady and invite her to church the next morning. And he did. Don't know if she showed up or not. If she did, whoo, did she have to endure a beating of a sermon? That is his mindset. And that is the mindset of pastors from days of yore. We've got to be out there. We've got to be reaching people. And when the pastor is doing that, it trickles down. If you like Reaganomics, you should love this church growth model. The pastor should be leading the way. Not, in, not, not with like Michael Youssef. The point is he should be leading the way when it comes to evangelism and soul winning and being firm doctrinally and welcoming and getting people plugged in so that they can be saved and the kingdom will grow and the local church will thrive. So if your church is perhaps diminishing and you're wondering, what do we do? Might I encourage you, look to Beaufort, South Carolina and consider the old ways. This is Wretched Radio. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. 
then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God it's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Well, in a world that is undeniably cluttered with quick fixes and superficial solutions, now comes a journey into the heart of real change. I'm talking about Transformed Season 3. It's finally here, and we're inviting you into the lives of individuals that are facing the giants of fear and guilt and grief. But hey, there's a twist. These aren't your typical battles. These battles have been fought with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You'll witness loneliness and overeating and relational tension met with grace, truth, and love that can only come from the one who knows us the best. This season's not just about watching others. It's about seeing yourself and your struggles and the path to true transformation through biblical counseling. We'll together dive deep into the heart of what it means to be transformed. Transformed Season 3 can be found right now at wretched.org slash transformed3. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked, and it said, in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what, what's the, what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats. They get materials that they learn the Bible. They memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? Books of the Bible. Paul wrote the second letter to the Thessalonians to further encourage and instruct them in the face of persecution. Some Thessalonians feared that they had missed the Lord's return. Paul reminds them that God will punish those who persecute the church, and He will be faithful to return for His people. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Ooh. Didn't think I was going to make it today. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, I thought for sure I was going to be staying in Beaufort, South Carolina. Oh, why? Because I got a text from the pastor. Welcome. So glad you got here safely. Why don't you show up at the church around 5.45 p.m.? We'll go back and meet in my office. And by that, he meant we're going to kneel down and pray in my office. Talk for a few minutes. Get you my job. <laughs> what? <laughs> why? I just got here. And Pastor Carl Brogy wants to give me his job? What in the world is going on here? Oh, I'm stopped at a red light. I was dictating. Get you microphone up 
microphoned up, not get you my job. Well, they're close. Get microphoned up, get you my job. Oh, talk to text. It's a dangerous thing. Had a lovely time in Beaufort, South Carolina. And not only did I see a church that is thriving because it has never abandoned the old ways of being evangelistically minded, outreaching to the community. And they're doing stuff all the time to bring people onto the campus and get, it's intentional. It's not just throwing a party. That Jimmy, they had something called a pig picking chicken licking oyster roast. <laughs> Sounds fun. Two, 3,000 people show up. Wow. And it's not just we're going to feed the community to express some goodwill. No, they want them to come to the campus and meet some Christians and discover, hey, they're not so dorky after all. Maybe they're not trying to ruin democracy in America, which is precisely what Marxism is for, to save democracy. It is an evangelistic church. But I also saw something that I think it requires recognizing that different cultures can express themselves differently. I, I think we all agree on that, that worship doesn't need to be uniform throughout the globe. It can have different expressions. But as I read through the book of Psalms, specifically the last three Psalms, you can't help but notice it is an enthusiastic worship. It is a joyful sort of thing. And it is rather dangerous word, but it's ecstatic. Not not in ecstatic utterances. It, it's ecstatic in that it's so like, hey, shout to the Lord, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise him with cymbals and lutes and pipe organs, of course. It, that's, that's what a lute was. See, some people think that it was some sort of like wind instrument. No, just look it up in the Hebrew somewhere. It, it means pipe organ. Praise him with dancing. No, I grant you that being expressive, enthusiastic with emotions in the Bible days is different than today. I grant you that. But having said that, do we in our culture express our feelings about God, the truth that we have stored about God in our brains, in a way that is genuinely enthusiastic in our context. There was an article that was written, and I don't know who wrote it, because I'm sorry I don't have the first page and I can't give you credit. I can't find it in my stack. He cited The Nature of Doctrine. It's a book by Yale post-liberal theologian George Lindbeck. I don't know what a post-liberal theologian is, frankly. But he argues that religious identity in modernity usually functions in one of two ways. Think of your own church. Either, or think of yourself, either in a cognitive propositional mode. In other words, didactics, teaching, theology, Bible exposition, or an experiential expressivist mode. So forget about the brain. Just get people enthused through dimming the lights, the fog machines, the thumpity-thump music, and the synthesizers. And now, certainly, those aren't the only two expressions of evangelicalism, but it's pretty close, isn't it? And I was at a church in Beaufort, South Carolina, that I couldn't help but notice had both. The pastor, Carl Brogy, he preaches for 60 to 65 minutes. <laughs> 
and the church is growing. And it's and it's not lightweight fluff. I'm telling you, he brings it. But the worship, though, was also like energetic. This, this, this is not anywhere close to an NAR church. And people weren't swinging from the chandeliers, but they had an orchestra. And a lot of young people in the orchestra, a lot of young people in the choir. Boy, was that encouraging. And it was just, it was... <sighs> When we think energetic, we have a tendency to think, oh, that's like the Passion Conference where everybody's jumping around. No, it wasn't that. But it was like, yes, we're in the house of God and we get to praise our Savior. And I can't help but wonder how many of our churches couldn't say the same thing. Our didactics should lead to some sort of external manifestation, some sort of external expression. It should, ex- it should reveal itself in a changed person, in a changed life. But shouldn't it also express itself when we are expressing our feelings to God? Maybe just, maybe we should take a look at our didactics and ask the question, is there a disconnect between teaching and expression? Because if there is, it is a possibility that, the preaching and the teaching may be missing the mark. I think that there's been an overcorrection in evangelical circles toward didactics where we ring a verse for all it is worth. And I dig that stuff. I'll be honest with you. I love that. I love hearing references to the Greek language. Bring it on. And I'm not saying jettison that, but I am saying if that doesn't lead to something that affects the heart, which then should express itself through the mouth, maybe maybe some adjustments need to be made. Jimmy, by the way, I think you'll find this encouraging. Okay. After, after the second service, was spending some time in the lobby, big church, Community Bible Church, communitybiblechurch.us. If you happen to be listening on WAGP, you should go. You'll see it for yourself. There's something going on there. And a young man, I think he was the last last person that I talked to before we hit the road and got a speeding ticket. <laughs> I didn't know I was going that fast, officer. It was the woman. God gave, I tried the Genesis excuse. He didn't buy any of it. The last fellow that I talked to was 18 years old. And he was in the orchestra. He was he was in playing an instrument. And I said, uh, how old are you? He said, 18. And isn't this fascinating? I said, where are you going to go to university? Because isn't that just kind of the way we think? Even though I have regularly expressed the option of trade school, of being discipled by somebody, of becoming an intern, where where you become great in your field by learning underneath somebody, you apprentice under somebody. And this young man Okay, Jimmy, we're going to recreate it. Okay. You're, you're going to be me. Ooh, that's probably <laughs> unpleasant to fathom. You're going to be me. Just ask me, the 18-year-old, where I'm going to university. Young man, where are you going to university? I'm not. Ah. I mean, it was like that. I'm not. And it wasn't snarky. It was like a definitive, I'm not. Like, I'm not embarrassed to say I'm not going to university. I said, well, what is the plan? He said, I work, he works on a farm someplace. 
And he said that he's learning HVAC and he's learning plumbing and he's learning electric and he's working hard, no doubt about it, so that he can be excellent in a trade. And I was so encouraged by that young man because he just was not embarrassed about it. So, well, I'm not going to go to university, but because I got this opportunity, oh, you know, droopy drawer, hang low, just kind of, oh, I'm not going to go to none of that. He was quite certain about his future as being somebody who helps people. Now, every every vocation does that. But the trades, especially, and I thought, uh, this guy probably in 30 years is going to be one of the wealthiest guys in the county because the trades are doing so excellently lately. And if you're young and you're considering your future, um, uh, Please involve your parents. Please involve them. Please involve people in your church. But I would simply say in a general sense that we need to be careful that we don't fall into the social construct that if you're going to be successful these days, you got to go to university and you better go to a good one. Otherwise, you aren't going to get a just not true. It's just not true. I know a lot of folks in the trades. They are supporting their families just fine. In fact, I saw a video last week. Jimmy, I don't think that I mentioned this last week. I saw a video last week, and it was a young woman. She was doing the whatever video where they pop up for a minute or less, whatever that is. And she was expressing how she was kind of agitated, annoyed, a little disturbed and upset by her husband, who's making more money than her, and he didn't go to university, and he didn't get his master's degree like she did, and yet, in the trades, I think he was an HVAC guy, was making more money. Uh-huh. So, young person, remember, there is an option. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We kick things off with a prestigious academic publisher who now apparently requires demographic forms that tally an author's race and gender before any type of peer review, which only aims to control the outcomes based on identity rather than ideas. And it's a blatant admission of implementing woke double standards in research, and it should alarm all of us, especially if you value free inquiry. There are way too many universities that we continue to hear about that are tying professor tenure to published writings. A so-called landmark survey making headlines has claimed over 90% of transgender adults are happier following medical transition procedures. Despite all the media coverage, a closer look reveals the study was neither scientific nor unbiased. It was sponsored by transgender advocacy groups and it relied on voluntary respondents recruited online versus any type of randomized sampling. That's about par for the course. Now, the California couple behind the notorious gender reveal wildfire has now been sentenced, closing a painful chapter after the 2020 blaze killed a firefighter and caused nearly $2 million worth of damages. Well, sports site Deadspin is being sued for falsely accusing a nine-year-old Chiefs fan of racism over face paint that honored his favorite team. Despite the boy's Native American heritage, a writer claimed his costume mocked both black people and Indians. 
But when evidence exposed the smear campaign, editors only reluctantly tweaked their story while avoiding any formal retraction. And now the boy's family is suing. Deadspin as they should. Shifting gears, the ACLU has threatened legal action if Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, signs a bill that restricts bail eligibility for domestic terror charges in the wake of the 2020 riot damage. They cry racism and argue that detaining accused extremists till trial somehow endangers minority communities. In the upside-down world of wokeism, empowering prosecutors to contain public threats now constitutes a systemic oppression. And finally, a dozen states will see ballot initiatives this fall pushing constitutional amendments to protecting abortion through all nine months. And building on victories in more liberal states, advocates are increasingly resorting to these routes to circumvent legislative bodies. There's vagueness of proposed language, and it leaves room to authorize virtually any late-term abortion procedure while invalidating health regulations. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. <laughs> The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that God is working in us. Every believer will evidence this fruit. But it is important to remember that bearing fruit is a consequence of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. God is working in us and through us, and He is a source of this fruit, not us. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And then I went to the dark side. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, did I mention I was just in Beaufort, South Carolina? Briefly. Three loverly days of fellowship. Don't you love meeting a complete stranger whom you discover is in Christ and suddenly you got so much you can talk about. Love being a member of the kingdom. Walking through town, bumping into all kinds of people who go to Community Bible Church. I'm telling you that about half the people who live in Beaufort County seem to go to that church. And it was sweet, even on the sidewalks. I had a chance to visit Paris Island. Jimmy, do you know what Paris Island is? I do not. You've heard it, though, right? There's a number of movies have been made about Paris Island. It's a military training base. And I thought, silly me, that on Paris Island, which is one of 68 islands that make up beautiful Beaufort County, I thought it would have a, you know, we'd, we'd go to the, we'd go to Paris Island and then we would see the camp over there. No, we, we drove onto the island and it was like the military base right there with gates and guys with really big firearms. So we did a U-turn. We didn't speed and get a ticket on the way out of there, but we hightailed it away from there and got back onto Beaufort County, which is, when you think bucolic coastal towns, think Beaufort, absolutely loverly, except for our time at the dark side. What's the dark Thank side? Thank you for asking. Uh-huh. You probably noticed. <laughs> it's just point, like pointing out that water is wet. I go to the gym, and so on Saturday morning, went to a health club. Would like to share with you their worldview. This is a health club. We're here to provide a unique environment in which anyone, and we mean anyone, because it's highlighted to make the point, can be comfortable. Hmm, A diverse, judgment-free zone where a lasting, active lifestyle can be built 
Our product is a tool, but in the end, it's all about you. Isn't that the mantra of our time? As we evolve and educate ourselves, we'll seek to perfect this safe, energetic environment where everyone feels accepted and respected. Unless, of course, you're a lunk. You say, what's a lunk? Well, that would be another sign that was on the wall at this particular gym. A lunk is described as follows. It has a big sign. It says lunk alarm. Lunk, noun, slang, is one who grunts, drops weight, or judges. So being a lunk is a bad thing at your judgment-free zone? So here's then, it it actually describes it for you because we need, need this type of explanation these days. Ricky is slamming his weights wearing a bodybuilding tank top and drinking out of a gallon water jug. What a lunk. Hey, that sounds a little judgmental to me. And there were a couple of lunks in there. I wanted to go to the front desk and say, I don't feel safe. There are lunks in there. And your sign says that this is a judgment-free zone, which would actually be the height of irony, but I don't expect that you'd understand that. This is such hypocrisy. There's, it is impossible for progressivism to be consistent in any way, shape, or form. And I'm telling you, we have perhaps, maybe time happens or history happens in time, that we are indeed leaving behind postmodernism. It was simply used to break down. And now that everybody has to be not judgmental. Wow, the judgments that are coming. Wow, how you need to get in line with their now fixed worldview. Case in point, a Colorado legislator sponsors a bill to require schools to use students' preferred names. You've got to. You will. Where's the postmodernism? Where, where, where's the, the live and let live attitude? Oh, yeah. That, We've moved beyond that. Well, what happened to there is no truth? There is no morality. Well, we were we were actually just funning about that. We, we deceived you into thinking that you can't claim that your Bible is actually infallible truth. And now that we've basically won the day, we're going to impose our values on you. Making sure that we can create this therapeutic language. Here's, here's what the legislator said making sure that we can create space for them, for people, transgender people, that we can create space for them to be seen and heard as their true self is very important. Yes, yes, your true self. Why is that the mantra that persists these days? Because it has been afoot for centuries that it's all about you. Quote, It's a great opportunity to kind of create equity and inclusion in schools. Unless, of course, your kid is heteronormative and you use pronouns that are offensive to all of us. The irony in all of this is just, I don't understand this sentence. She said, we're talking about pronouns and names and making sure that a young person can be seen as their authentic. Oh, Jimmy, I picked up some reflux in Buford. Yeah. Seen as their authentic selves, why wouldn't anybody want to create a space for that? Well, I can tell you why. 
uh, because it would be to help a child persist in a delusion. They're confused and they are being targeted. There is no question about it. Was just reading somebody's article about TikTok videos and how they are. Ugh, I, I started reading it. Now, it was a Christian article and I had to stop reading it because it's like ugh, ugh. some guy dressed up like you know, a woman as if any women actually look like that and dressed up like a woman explaining how um, genital mutilation is really cool. It's targeting kids. And that, that, that seems to be the demo that they focus on. We, we don't see a lot of this going on in nursing homes and senior centers. No, and they said, we're coming after your kids. Perhaps we should have taken them rather seriously. And now we are confronted as Christians with, I really think, I, I wouldn't say that this is going to, well, maybe it will, but I'm not sure it's going to go down in history as the fulcrum moment. This is the pivotal moment where Christians had to make a decision about what we believe. But I'm thinking it's a pretty important time for us to start asking ourselves some questions about where will I draw the line? Where will I stand? When am I willing to take knocks for my Savior? Remember the Beatitudes, which I get to preach on this Sunday. If you're living the way the, the Beatitudes describe the believer, you can anticipate persecution. You can simply expect it because the world is going to hate it. And they're going to hate you because they hated our Savior. I was reading an article. My buddy Josh Williamson in England sent this. Should Christians attend a same-sex wedding? Now, this is, now, this is in Premier Christianity. I believe this is the fellow who is pretty high profile in Great Britain. And basically, he said, yeah, in some circumstances, I think you can. And here's what he said. While I have sympathies with those who argue that attending gay marriage would constitute condoning or celebrating sin, this is true of many of our social interactions. Well, that is true, but we need to define what they are. How many Christians have celebrated the wedding of a cohabitating couple who are not repentant? Okay, stop. If a man and a woman are shacking up and they get married, I say praise God for that because they're moving out of sin. Nevertheless, he continued, where the wedding was inevitably the affirmation of their whole relationship. No, it's an affirmation of their wedding. Because if it's an affirmation of somebody's entire being, then we would be affirming anybody's sin, no matter how born again they are. Perhaps at a church where a false gospel was preached. Well, now we start to enter into a little bit more challenging situations. And please note, there are different theologians that are going to take a different take. That's right, they're going to take a different take. On the issue of whether or not you can go to a wedding at some sort of you know, a Hindu temple, at a Roman Catholic mass, etc. I just heard a very high-profile evangelical say, I think that's okay because just don't participate in the mass. Uh, I personally would disagree with that because I think that your presence actually affirms that your presence says, uh, I'm here to celebrate what I see going on up there. Therefore, if we're going to be consistent, we would have to say that any form of unbiblical marriage is, is something that the Christian shouldn't affirm with their presence. Now, 
you're in that situation and you're having to make that decision. I think that it would be callous to suggest that this is not a hard spot for a believer to be in. But I do believe we need to be asking the question, what, what, is, what must happen? What must the world do before I'm willing to stand and say, I'm sorry, I can't go along with that. This is Wretched Radio. Are you ready to go on an adventure that tackles life's biggest questions head on? Well, we invite you to join John Fabares and Jake Ream on a riveting journey in Road Trip to Truth Season 4. This season, they're hitting the road to explore deep questions about sin, atheism, racism, and the very nature of truth itself. Through candid conversations with university students and wisdom from experts, this season delivers some unwavering answers from a biblical perspective. Whether it's understanding the reality of heaven and hell, navigating the complexities of marriage, or uncovering the truths about money and forgiveness, Road Trip to Truth Season 4 will be your guide. It's perfect for youth groups, families, or anyone who seeks to defend their faith with confidence. Road Trip to Truth has been more than a series. It's a tool for sparking meaningful discussions and inspiring a commitment to the gospel. So if you're ready to head out on a road trip, buckle up for the truth. Road Trip to Truth Season 4, available now at wretched.org slash 4. Who will speak for those who are staggering to the slaughter? Seems like right now would be a good time to encourage you to support Preborn Ministries. They're in it. It's a little complex out there with the internet and ordering pills. They're in the game. They're working hard to save babies and save mommies and daddies with the gospel. So if you are energized about life, that's something you can do. You can support Preborn. They provide free ultrasounds despite the accusations of all pro-life clinics. They are holistic. They do care about the mommy too. And they care for the family and they provide training. And it is literally a way that if you have the means, you can be saving a life. Amazing ministry. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Now, I want to take a moment and paint you a picture. Imagine a world where the gospel reaches every corner, touching lives and transforming hearts. I know that's something as Christians we're all praying for, but imagine that you could play a pivotal role in that mission. And I'm not suggesting what you currently do doesn't play a pivotal role. We know you love the content that we're able to produce, but it takes resources to produce that content. And that's where you come in. 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. That's a fact that you can look up for yourself with the ECFA. Your partnership means we're reaching more souls, equipping more saints, and strengthening more churches. And so if you're wondering how to do that, how to join us and become a gospel partner, first of all, don't just jump into it. Talk to your spouse about it, pray about it, and consider what it might look like in your life. Then, and only then, you can go to wretched.org slash donate to get any answers to any other questions you might possibly have. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Names of God We learn a lot about God from the names given to Him in Scripture. The first name given to God 
is Elohim in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is a plural noun, but the verb created is singular. God is plural in personhood, but singular in being. The Creator God is the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Please open your Bible to the Old Testament. And no, I'm not a prosperity hack. This is Wretched Radio. In Beaufort, South Carolina, they've got some sort of a religious channel there that I was tuning into because I have interest in Christian broadcasting. And there was a prosperity preacher on. Believe me, I'd name his name if I could remember it. And he was reading his texts for his speech And it was a bunch of verses from the Old Testament that had a similar word. I I can't remember what it was. It was like the word celebration. And he found like here in first Kings, it uses that word. And then if you go to Ezekiel, you'll see that word used. And then he was going to make some sort of case that that's what we need to be doing today in order to be blessed. It was it was it was disgusting is what it was. And that you will see regularly from prosperity preachers. They love the Old Testament. They haven't unhitched it at all. Instead, they use it to drive their prosperity train to lavish lifestyles. We're not going to do that. But we are going to dive into the Old Testament because I was reading an article from Premier Christianity. This is a publication in Great Britain. And I'm not sure if the fellow's the head of Premier Christian. Oh, wait a second. Here he is. He's the National Director for the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. Big deal. And he's writing, of course, about the wedding controversy. And his position is, I would be willing to go. That if for the sake of love and relationship, I would go. As long as they understand I do not affirm what they're doing. I'm going to go and love them. And I do believe that would be an expression of an understanding of love that is sub-biblical. Biblical love isn't doing something that just makes somebody feel good. Because if we do that, we could be affirming sin. Love does what is best for the person, regardless of how they feel about you. That's what love does. That, that's what dentists do. <laughs> we let them have away at our teeth. You experience a little inconvenience, discomfort, or downright pain. But you know it's for your good. And nobody yells at dentists. You're all being awfully judgmental, Mr. Dentist. You should be more compassionate. No, his compassion is helping you, fixing your choppers. And the same thing should be true for Christians. True love helps people to understand that what they're doing is against God and really bad for them. That's love. It's not pretending that it doesn't exist. I mean, we see this all the time, don't we? I, I think there's I think there's a movement. It's called body body shaming. That, that that if if you mention that somebody isn't perhaps fit or in a certain range, weight range, uh, that they are out of shape or they're overweight, because that's mean. And, and so you can't talk about those things. Hold on a second. Doesn't science teach us that carrying too many pounds for your frame is bad for you? Is all of that 
scientific research now flipped on its head? And the answer is yes, it is. Why? Because we have to be loving. Well, of course, you're not going to point fingers and call names at people that you deem to be bigger than you. But love says, hey, um, do you know what usually accompanies being that overweight? That's loving, not pretending there aren't dangers. But this particular article cited perhaps an example of a believer who attended a pagan ceremony, and it's found in 2 Kings. That's right. This is the great story in 2 Kings 5 about Naaman. He was the captain of the guard in Syria, and he had some sort of skin disease, perhaps leprosy. And he heard that there was a prophet in Israel who could heal them diseases. Another reminder, people people who are hurting are going to go find somebody that they've heard can heal them. But this particular fellow, he heard that if I go to this prophet and and, and he sees me, he's going to heal me. So he packs up his stuff and gets on his horse, drives south. That's what you do with horses. You drive them south to meet a prophet named Elisha. And he stood outside of Elisha's house on his horse, sending his servants to go greet the prophet and tell him he's waiting for you to heal him. And Elisha wants none of it. He doesn't go out of the house to heal him. Instead, he instructs the servants, tell your boss man that he needs to go down to the river and dip himself in it three times. And Naaman was not pleased. How dare this prophet? He doesn't know who I am. Hey, when you're the captain of the guard, you are a big deal. You are right there in the upper echelons of power. And so this fellow was really mad and his servants pleaded with him, hey, hey, uh, get off your high horse, which was precisely the issue, pride, and dip yourself in the Jordan. He was like, hey, look, I, I can dip myself in cleaner rivers where I come from. And they told him, do what you've been told. Humble yourself. And he went into the river, bobbed up and down three times, and his skin became that of a child. He was healed. But the story continues. It's a The Puritans used to do this all the time. They would call back Old Testament stories to illustrate New Testament truths uh, that, that God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, and don't, don't go to a movie trailer. Go to the Old Testament and find Naaman in 2 Kings 5. But then we see this. So Naaman said, hey, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Verse 19. And he said, Elisha said, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. There you have it. See, Naaman, the believer, it's okay for him to go into a pagan worship service. Is that what it says? 
Now, I understand that people would try to say uh, that Naaman was basically given a pass by Elisha. It's because you're not really worshiping him. Everybody understands you're just there for your master. But is that really what the text says? This is an historical narrative, by the way. He, he simply he identifies going in and doing this. It's a sin. He recognized it's actually a sin. So I would make the case that Naaman was repenting and asking specifically, hey, forgive me for this. And Elisha says, basically, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. We do not have Elisha saying, and you can keep doing that because everybody understands that you're just helping out your master and you don't really believe what's going on. Doesn't say that. So you would have to, I think, import that into the text. And I really would be slow then to build the case that it is okay for a Christian to participate by with their mere presence at something that is pagan or unchristian. And that is the debate that is going on currently, is it not? And this particular article from Premier Christianity says the most intriguing example is Naaman, who sought the permission of Elisha to accompany his master, the king, when he worshiped in his pagan temple, even seeming to bow down with him. Elisha blessed him in attending without participating. I don't think that it said that. Elisha should have said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need forgiveness for that. You're just fine because everybody understands you're not actually participating. You're just assisting somebody who is wor worshiping a pagan deity. And then this, this article goes on to say, I think we failed to appreciate the events that Joseph, Daniel, Nehemiah, and Esther would have had to attend as they served their pagan masters. Well, I don't know because the Bible doesn't reveal that they did the Bible doesn't reveal that they were willing to participate in any sort of pagan ceremony. In fact, if you take a look at Daniel and the boys, you see just the opposite. I won't participate. I won't bow down. I won't admit that there is another God outside of the only true and living God of Israel. And for his troubles, he faced lion's dens and he faced fiery furnaces because they wouldn't participate. I'm not aware of Joseph participating in any pagan ceremony or Nehemiah too, for that matter. Even as the cupbearer, he still prayed quickly, met with the king. But it doesn't indicate that they were willing to compromise in participating with something pagan. In fact, Jewish people, they were quite willing to die for their beliefs. What do we do with all of this? Well, I think that we need to read this, if this text in 2 Kings is going to be the text that says it's okay for Christians to go to pagan ceremonies, um, then we better wrangle with that text. Is that really what it's saying? And do I want to potentially sin, undermine the veracity of the gospel by attending a pagan ceremony because that might be what was affirmed possibly in an historical narrative in the Old Testament. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.